And I just Maybe. usually will go out and and put a couple posts in the ground, just some uh, wood posts, and and then went and started cutting like a, a big white pine limb. And for whatever reason, that pine, white pine, is a sap in there. And then we'll put it in a strategic location. We'll just and I just anchor it on each of these posts, or you can put it between a tree and a post or two trees. Mm-hmm. And uh, and for whatever reason, the deer they they like that they'll they'll lick it they'll rub it and this segment of dod tv is brought to you by leopold american to the core what's up everybody welcome back to the jury outdoors 100 wild podcast powered by DeerCast. this is episode number 221 if you can believe it and we're starting our like month or two month journey into deer season with hitting journey. these tree outdoors team members here. And we're going to get some good in depth deer hunting one-on-one type stuff out hunting spell with no G's. That's right. You're Tim Chelsvik with a couple extra letters in your last name. Mm-hmm. You're Matt Drury. I got just two I R's, mean, a U and a Y. It's pragmatic. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got uh, a DOD team member, Dave Kramer on long time DOD guy. He's been consistent as anybody on the team over the years. And what's great about him and why I thought he would be a good guest is the the level that he goes to on making his spot better. And uh, a lease that turned into a piece that he bought. And, you know, and he's also got some other leases with, with uh, Kalen Lenz. And, you know, I know mm-hmm. Rick Mallet comes in and hunts with him a lot. And it's just, I'm looking forward to diving into seeing what all he's got planned for this year. A consistent killer. The, the, hey, and that's not uh, an easy thing to, to do, especially when you're talking about a mature caliber, you know, whitetail. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and smaller parcels. I mean, him and his son have really, really done a great job over the years. So I think we could all learn a little bit there. Yeah. And and, and th- those guys really put in the work and, and I, I liked it. it. Dave said in a social post at some point, or I don't know where he said it at actually, but people think that just because you live in Iowa, you got monster deer hiding behind every tree. You just got to go out and sit. And, and the reality is you got to put in the work for it. And Dave definitely does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so speaking of work, our friends on our 100% Wild Podcast crew Facebook page, which you, the listener, can join if you'd like. This is new. It's new, and uh, and they have been giving us some feedback. Is it good or is it bad? Eh. <laughs> a little from column A, a little from column B. <laughs> okay. All right. So the first shout out is from Thomas Newberg, and he says, great show, guys. Can't wait for next week. Dr. Woods is always a, gr- a treat, and Mark as a bonus. This is a great, can't miss Tim Chelswick, better dig out some good questions. So we had uh, Dr. Grant Woods on last week with Mark Drury, and we were talking about <laughs> nutnecks. You were talking about nutnecks. Wait, neonics. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Neonicotinoids. Yeah. Nutnecks. <laughs> if, if you're concerned about the turkey, the declining turkey population, that's a must listen to or must watch show. Go back and, and listen to that. Both Dr. Grant Woods and Mark are raising a, a yellow flag about what the potential impact the seed coating has on not only turkeys, but deer and insects and pretty much anything that browses on these seeds that have been uh, on the plants 
that were germinated from seeds coated with neonics. Yeah. And Dr. Grant, I mean, he's just such a wealth of knowledge in many, in many ways when it comes mm-hmm. to the whitetail community. So, uh, you know, turkeys, that's his passion. He's known that stuff just as well as he knows the whitetail side. Everybody thinks of the whitetail side with Dr. Grant, but it goes well beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so definitely a, a um, an interesting and alarming, uh, conversation. So definitely go back and listen to that if you have haven't already and that is thomas niemerg i'm sure he would give us feedback if we called him newberg oh did i call him newberg yeah i'm gonna call him newman now <laughs> newman. that's what you get thomas <laughs> we just give you a new last name sorry about that and then uh nathan, i can't read <laughs> nathan cop hold it, hold it. No. i can't read i was like you're doing your own soundboard hits <laughs> Man does it all. Nathan Cobb says, I love the podcast. Keep up the great work. I watch old reruns every day at lunch. Man, this guy's hard and up. He is another 100% <laughs> wild um, crew member over there on Facebook. So you left a message on that Facebook page about somebody leaving a bad review over in the Apple, like Kate, Kate, the, I, yeah. the podcast reviews. Mm-hmm. So I made the mistake of going to read the reviews. <laughs> Some people that don't like us over there. <laughs> that soundboard, it's 50-50. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because some people were like, get more serious. You guys jack around too much. And then other people love the soundboard. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> But but guess what? It's our podcast. It's the people that that like it that don't, they're probably not going to give feedback. They're probably just going to say, oh, hey, it's Wednesday. I'm going to download the show. I love listening to these guys. And they get on with their lives. Like they don't feel the need to have to try to influence the podcast with a crappy review. Well, we need their review now. And it's if you can make it funnier, there's a better chance that it's going to be read on the podcast. 100%. So these wild, these, (laughs) thank you. These shout outs were all from the 100% wild crew um so and we'll do that we'll mix them in but we do need your podcast review so do that in your podcast player those really help us all right we need enough with the the jib jab let's go let's talk about some news all right if you're in alabama you can now pursue pigs and coyotes overnight Hmm. sounds like fun and you can shoot them too Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're just running after them. <laughs> Get back here, you. <laughs> but yeah, they're trying to control their predator and their feral hog population. It's probably too late. I mean, it, down there in the South, and it's working its way. I know like Southern Missouri, it, it's already like getting bad. <laughs> right? I mean, well, like. No, I was thinking, I was, was going to say Nudnik Central. <laughs> Hey, I didn't say that. You no, said that. No, I didn't say, don't you say that. <laughs> no, but it's it's just, as you talk to anybody, you talk to the guys down at West Point, Mississippi, they're like, man, it's the, the scourge of our time. These <laughs> feral hogs just coming up through. Ripping up the soul. Yeah. I mean, doing literally billions of dollars of damage to the whole southern it's part of the funny. country. I don't know no, why you're laughing. My impersonate. They never say soil. In the South, soul. they say soul. Soul. Yeah. Now you're offending <laughs> well, our viewers, Tim. Some of them, not all of them. Well, we don't know where they're from, actually. <laughs> right. Maybe so, none of them. <laughs> so that article is up in DeerCast. Um, also, Mark and uh, Grant Woods last week were talking about that high school program where they're giving high school students bounties for going out and killing coyotes and other predators. So, that, you know, they're interesting ways of controlling predator populations uh, outside of just night hunting. And it, it, I think we just have to get innovative. 
uh, yeah, shoot all that you see, basically, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. We got a shooter waiting in the wings here. Without further ado. There's no more ado for you, Dave Kramer. What's up, Dave? Not too much, guys. How are you doing? We're good. Sorry to make you sit through that. <laughs> hey, no problem. I'm not sure I'm podcast worthy, but I appreciate being on here. We so aren't far. either. So yeah, they, I mean, anybody can have a podcast. <laughs> literally anybody can. All you need is literally a phone. You don't even need a mic. <laughs> yeah. 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 Old school. Um, so, so Dave, uh, how long have you been on the Dre Outdoors team? Kind of give people a rundown of your history. Uh, so I've, been bow hunting, I you know, 32, 34 years or so. And, um, a little over half that actually probably 18, 19 years, I've been a part of this fantastic team. So been, been a great ride. How did you get on the bow madness well, crew? Jury outdoors first. That, that's probably the real question. How'd you get on the jury outdoors team? Cause sure. then, you know, there's a natural progression of, he was on dream season early on with, uh, Bill Gadeen, land of the giants, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, Take us back to how you got onto the, the Drury Outdoors team. So it's been, I started video, I, I watching the Drury videos way back just out of high school and in college and just, you know, it kind of drew me to it. And, and, uh, late nineties, I actually bought a camera and started playing around with it and filming. And I sent Mark a letter, actually a letter with in a, in a little video clip of some stuff that I'd filmed and and he wrote me back and you know basically said we'd be interested in seeing what you can do and they wanted me to upgrade cameras and so i just went and spent the money and bought the camera and just happened to that fall fell into some bucks that were locked up and it was actually late late january two big mature bucks that had locked up and uh, my cousin called me and said, hey, we're going to go try to get these bucks apart. You want to come along? And I literally just grabbed the camera on the way out the door. And uh, it was a Canon XL1. Filmed it. We separated them and got it all laid down and sent it in. And I think it was uh, it was a Whitetail Madness uh, VHS tape. And that, that was kind of my foot in the door. And, mm. and then it's gone from there. So. Rode their misfortune to the heights of star. <laughs> yeah. Nice job. Yeah. I'll have to go back and look at that one. I don't recall that one. That must have been before I started. What when uh what year would have that like oh two oh three or no, it was before it was I think it was uh right around two thousand. I don't remember the exact year, but yeah, that would have been uh, before I started because that sounds I mean we've had a few locked buck pieces since then the Lindsay one and, and the Mark and, and uh, Wade had one or two. And those are always incredible pieces of footage, like intense, intense moments, especially those big Iowa deer. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool and pretty lucky, pretty fortunate, really. I mean, just, just kind of all fell into place. So would you guys ever shoot a deer in that scenario? No, no. Like, the only way I could see that happening is if they had already you know, work themselves. So, you know, they're just tired, exhausted. And that you're like, there's no way this animal is going to live. Maybe then it would make sense. But I mean, we've seen it time and time again, guys, hunters, outdoors, people, they're just trying to free them. And, you know, <laughs> and they're always big deer. It seems like <laughs> they're getting locked together. Just kind of the way they're antlers. They got more to get locked up. Yeah. 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 So Mark, actually we, I just proofed this piece. It's not ready yet for DOD TV, but um, he was after a giant last year 
uh, disappeared and uh, they found him during shed season locked him and another yeah. big deer locked and and they did a whole storyline and, and produced this piece on this we were put in our heartbreaker series because of course they never caught up to him the deer died but it, it should be coming out here in you know in a couple of weeks maybe a month and it's it's an incredible story and this deer is just gigantic and it's always you know it's that they lock in such a perfect way it's like a puzzle almost like one in a million kind of a chance that it would get locked but there's so some flyer or kicker or something drop mm-hmm. tying that locks it in and there's just no getting out of it. So, so that's, that was the, that's the origin story of Dave Kramer. That's something. That's pretty much it. And I started filming a little bit after that and it took a few years to actually get uh, brought on board as a team member. So, um, and then we just kind of progressed from there, Bill Gadeen and I and myself. So. That year you were on Land of the Giants. So that would have been your first year on the TV shows, right? Correct. Yeah. So yeah. Dream Season, Land of the Giants. I think that would have been like season four, maybe? Season four, season three, something like that. We we I think four because we had Dream Season, then we had Dream Season Amateurs, then we had Pros versus Ams, and then I think it was Land of the Giants. There and, might have been a couples in there too, maybe. Oh, before. yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Couples and then Land of the Giants. So it would have been like uh, Missouri. We were trying to represent states. Wisconsin, Joe Eichster, um, Iowa with, with Bill and Dave, um, Illinois, I think Keith uh, Kuhn and Rod Wilson, yep. which are two characters. Uh, Missouri had John Williams, right? And who? Oh, Coon Dog. Coon Dog. Coon Dog. Two, Dog and two characters. <laughs> Wisconsin, Joe Eggster, and uh, oh, shoot, what, what was Joe's name? partner? I can't think of I it. Can't remember, right? But Eric Grover. Eric Grover. And I'm trying to think. Was there any other states in there? Nope. Yeah. So, yeah. so it was. Uh, it was a good season. It was a fun season, but. Um, if I remember right, you you guys, because who the hell won that season? Was it Ohio? Forgot about oh, ben. ben. Ben and Tim. That'd be a tough one to forget because he killed a yeah. two hundred inch deer. <laughs> Heck, yep. So yep. yeah, it was. Uh, those are the fun years. So, is there a time or a story from that season, like? one of the group hunts or something that we, we had Rick Malik on a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about, you know, their, uh, their group hunt. Cause he was on the original dream season. I always like to hear you guys' thoughts on what, you know, how it went for you or what something that stood out. Oh, it was the whole, the whole thing was fun. Bill and I had a, we had a rough spell missing. I, I think Bill missed a couple of deer that year. I missed deer that year. And, uh, but then we won the shooting competition down at Terra. Mm. So that was kind of neat. And then we ended up, uh, late season, both killing two big giants and one of my biggest deer to date yet. So it was a good time. And it was a good thing I did because we were, we were kind of, you know, we weren't doing so well. On the bubble. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Probably finished last. I'd guess it on that. <laughs> Gotta make something <laughs> tied <here>. for last. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, you're pretty active on social and whenever you post something, I watch it because you, because it's well thought out. Um, you posted something about a, a windsock maybe a couple of years ago now, like you like to have a windsock on your property. Cause when you drive in, you can see, uh, you know, <clears throat> the, excuse me, the weather forecast may say one thing, but locally it may be a little bit different. So and, and Dave has all these little hacks and tricks that he likes to share. So help, help the listeners, the viewers right now, figure out kind of what you're doing, what's your typical summer, like what are your priorities in the summertime that set you up for success during the fall? 
Well, for me, it starts as soon as the season's over. And I, and for most hunters, you know, I'm, I'm an avid shed hunter. I just love, love picking up antlers because you're, you're not confined to just one. You can pick up as many as you can find. So I run reconics cameras all the way up through till I know the last shed is down. Hmm. And then I will just go start picking, start collecting, get an inventory on who survived um, made through the season. So I can start the next year off, you know, on the right foot. I'll pull cameras for a couple months. Usually by mid June, I've got them all back out and uh, just start trying to collect that and collect inventory for the next season. So just to make sure who survived and, uh, and, and then it's go from there. It's food plot time, you know, running cameras, putting out feed um, and, and doing all the work that needs to be done on the farm, mowing clover, doing everything else that way. So that's, be- I mean, so far, that's what I've gotten done here for this year. So. Okay. I was just going to say, it'd be great if you guys could stop mentioning brand names. Yeah, we Because got. this is this is not 100% commercial. It's, it's an infomercial. <laughs> the whole thing, the show is just one long infomercial. That was one of the negative reviews, guys. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we need help. <laughs> so, Dave, well, the, the, I, I'm with Tim. I like your social posts because it it's, it's always a like if something technical or something informative or it's not a look at me uh, kind of a post, it's more of a, Hey, here's what I do that might help you. If, if, if you, you know, find it interesting or want to, you know, utilize it on your own piece. So you, this farm that you do most of the work on, correct me if I'm wrong, but you used to lease it for a long time and then you had an opportunity to purchase it. Yes. How how many acres are you talking here? It's it's a small piece. Most everything I've got is to hunt is small. It's an 80 acre farm. Um, started leasing it. I've hunted it for, oh, shoot, since back in the early 90s. And then I was actually a customer of mine, a dairy customer. And uh, he kind of kept it for me. And I just I just began to, hey, here's a way to compensate you for saving this for me and allowing me to hunt it. I just started paying him a lease. I, I think I was probably the first person in the area to start leasing a piece of ground, which, you know, a lot of the locals didn't like it, but um, it kind of, it kept it for me. And then after about 10, 15 years of doing that, and I was able to finally uh, jump in and purchase it. So, and then from there, it's just been making every improvement I can on the farm to, to make it better for the wildlife, for deer, turkeys, everything, at least from my perspective to try to make it better for the hunting as well. Mm-hmm. So, so when you got, cause you've had it, what, maybe three, four years, I know you did an episode on bow madness about it. That's what I'm thinking back on. Yeah. Uh, we did my own piece of the pie was the first show. That's the year, <laughs> the year that we had bought it. So, um, originally it was, just, it was a 29 acres of tillable ground that was farmed heavily. And, uh, so, the first thing I did was we started planting trees, you know, 5,000 trees we put in the ground and and then trying to maintain them and, and get them because you know, obviously I'm never going to see the the benefit, the, the biggest benefit of the trees, but that was the first step. And then we enrolled all the tillable into CRP. So try to make more cover, more, the native grasses, native flowers, and make it better for everything there. And then it's just been about putting the food in and, uh, and then, 
you know, just, just to make it better. Just that's, that's been the whole thing. So on those 5,000 trees, <clears throat> what kind of trees were you putting in? And then what do you, what kind of maintenance does it take to ensure, you know, what's the percentage that make it out of 5,000, you know, 3,000, 2,000, what, what's the percentage that will make it? Uh, it's, you try to make them all, get them all to survive. You know, I've done a lot of, spent a lot of money on tubes, tree tubes. It's amazing how fast they'll grow when you tube them. I've learned a lot about that as I've done it, you know, a little bit of misguided information from the company I bought the tree tubes from, but you know, there's a lot of things to that mowing, spraying the tree rows to try to keep the weeds down so the trees get a chance to go. But if you put a tube on them, they'll just shoot right up and, and you get a lot more growth out of them right away. The downside of that is if you don't support the tubes, then the trees shoot up and they get too much foliage and then they tip over. So there's some things you've got to do for that as well. But but for as far as percentage, I, I would say you know, if I'm, I'm lucky to probably have 50 percent of them that are going to probably wow. survive. So and, and what kind of trees did you say you're planting? Um, all hardwoods, mostly oaks, okay. um, some black walnuts, cherries, um, but mostly oaks. Is that mainly for the mass crop? Yeah. I, I should say cedars as well for cover. You know, I put a lot of cedars in They're They're a little easier to maintain that way, but, but uh, yeah, mostly the, you know, just something about an oak tree to me. I just, you know, they're a big majestic tree when they're fully grown and, and then the mass the, the, that you get, you know, you get the feed out of them too. Sure. So. Talk about your process. I'm fascinated by this. You electrify your, some of your food plots with, with fencing. Talk about that process and what got you started there. Well, Tom Ware uh, and Scott Manifold, like they did a piece on bow madness a few years ago that uh, they were they fenced off a bean field and, my backfield is surrounded on three sides by timber. So it gets a lot of browse pressure. And two years ago, I, I mean, I just got tired of beating my head against the wall. I put beans or corn in and they'd come in and they'd, they'd eat the top style of the corn. I'd get nothing, just no crop at all. And so there was nothing late season for them. So I watched what they did and got some uh, good advice from Tom and uh, he kind of pointed me in the right direction. So what I did is that it's a two acre field. I ripped up the outside and I put a 12 foot clover strip all the way around it. And then I put my fence in. I put a, a double row. Um, the outside row is ones at two and a half foot strand and then four and a half foot. And then the inside row is four foot in. And I put that at three and a half foot and it, it's got to be maintained. I just got done this weekend weed trimming the whole thing. That's the third time I've done it this year just to keep the clover down so it doesn't short the fence out. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's amazing. I mean, the deer just do not, they do not go in there. And I, I it really helped out with the crops. So. Now, can you run a system like that in uh, in an area where you don't have electric? Like, can you run it off of a car battery with a solar? Solar. Solar, yeah. Okay. You can go to any uh, farm supply store and buy a solar you know, uh, solar charged, uh, fencer, so to speak. And it doesn't take a super hot fencer. Um, but it, you just have to maintain it, keep the weeds off the fence and then make sure you put a, a rope style or a, a band style that the deer can actually see when they come up to it. So, you know, if they don't see it, they may, they may run into it, jump it, twist it up, pull it down, but they just, they don't mess with it at all. It's really, it really works It's a game changer for me. What time do you, of the year, do you then decide to take that down? So I leave it up until 
we're going to hunt usually probably right before the shotgun seasons. I don't shotgun hunt. I basically try to stay out of the farm during that season because everybody around is, you know, pushing deer around. And if they can push them into me, all the better. And so I'll open it up just before the shotgun season. And then I'll go in and mow some down. Um, I've talked with the DNR officer in my area and he, and it, and it is allowed to do that. And so I'll mow some down and, and it just pulls, it pulls deer in from everywhere. So hmm. what's a typical cost on uh, electric fence, like a, a unit and, and maybe like, I'm assuming you pay by the yard or whatever for the strand. Well, I probably did it a little different. You can go buy kits. I think uh, I've seen Pat and Nicole, they, they put some kit out that, or they have a kit that they buy that's lower cost. Now I went through the effort and all my corner posts, I put wood posts in. And I think every 20 feet, 20, 30 feet, I would put a steel T post. Um, so I've, I've got, you know, $1,500 wrapped up in that two acre field. Okay. That I, but once it's in, you don't ever, you know, you should never have to change it. And then I'll just go in and wrap that wire up, roll it up and, and store it in my shed and, and then put it back up. And I don't open up all the sides. I open up two sides of it to try to keep, you know, keep <laughs> the deer um, coming in from certain directions as well. But uh, so. So do you rotate from beans to corn, you know, every other year, or you just continue planting the Mostly same thing? corn. Yeah. Um, I, when I know I'm going to do a burn on the CRP, like this last year, um, I put beans in because I didn't want that field to, you know, really go along with the CRP because I've got a muddy, elevated, muddy blind up there and I, you know, didn't want to burn it up. So just this last year, I had beans in. Now I'm back to corn. And in a couple of years, I'll probably do another burn out mm -hmm. there and I'll probably do the same thing. So, okay. and it's a must when you're surrounded by timber to fence that bean bean field off because they just there's nothing left. I tried it and it just I got no I had nothing. So the fence has really made a difference. How many acres are you talking about there? The the what you're fen fencing in? It's two full acres, right? At two. Yeah. Yeah. So as you can tell, you know, everything that Dave does, 5,000 trees, he's getting the good stuff for the street, you know, to put the the fence in. Like it's all he doesn't you know, he doesn't half-ass anything. He doesn't pull any corners. Or that's why he's on the podcast. That's right, Tim. So, <laughs> the you know, there's a lot to be learned there in, in doing the work and how much work it really takes to get to the level that these guys get to. And that's why I yeah. wanted to have them on the podcast because it's just, it's, you think, yeah, I'm doing, you know, I have did this. I sprayed the food plot. I did. I, I look back at the years where we struggled at, at the lease or wherever, and it's like we weren't we didn't have everything lined up the way it should mm -hmm. be. Like there's a lot of yeah. different levels and steps it takes to get to the level these guys are. We were no, nowhere near that, but it, it just well, shows you how much effort you need to put into it to get to the next tier. And, and you know, you're truly making your 80 acres, the best 80 acres you can make it. Right. Uh, that's, that's what I'm trying. You bet. That's for sure. I do have really good neighbors. I mean, that is a must as well. I mm -hmm. mean, uh, one side of my farm is not so good, but you know, but th the neighbors that I do have on three sides are just fantastic. They're on the same page as me. So it, it helps big and time. We should probably also mention that Dave has a more than full-time job. Like he's not, uh, sometimes people think that our guys that hunt on our teams, just like, hunt. that's what they do. They don't like they're, 
they're kind of extreme weekend warriors in that they not only work a more than, you know, most of them are, you know, running businesses or heavily involved in the work that they do. And they're doing this additional work of hunting, not only hunting, but filming, you know, all their hunts. So, uh, so Dave, how much, like how much time do you spend at work? Like how do you juggle that the responsibilities of your job and, and, and hunting at the level that you do? Well, I'm, I'm fortunate one. I, I, I'm a small business owner, uh, a dairy equipment dealership in my hometown. So it's not far from home. I don't travel long ways to get to and from work. I'm lucky to have the family, the wife that'll, that puts up with this, so to speak. She, my free time is usually spent out at the farm doing stuff, you know, working, mm-hmm. doing something, um, whether it's maintaining, you know, trees, maintaining the CRP, anything, but, uh, it's mainly, Fortunately, I'm only about five minutes from the farm. So I nice. literally get off work, get home. I jump in the truck and I'm there. So that helps big time. If I had to travel two, three hours just to get to my main farm, it wouldn't be happening the same. So, yeah, anyway. I can just picture Dave walking out the front door saying, bye, dear, going to the farm to do some stuff. And never coming like, back. Well, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so, okay. So you're planting, you know, beans, corn, what? type of green plots do you plant or do you plant any for the fall? Yeah, we, I put in the turnips, uh, biologic maximum usually is what I end up, uh, put in. I'm playing around a little bit going to this year. I've got about two acres, acre and a half to two acres, uh, ripped up a couple new plots this year, some clover that needed to be redone. I'm going to put some, uh, turnips and radishes in there as well. So I've got about, yeah, acre and a half to two acres worth of, uh, worth of biologic product we put in the ground. So in the 80 acres between your, you know, grain and, and green, what are you talking like four or five acres total of food plots? I've got a little over 10, 10, 10. and a half acres mm. total. Okay. Counting the clover, you know, I've got two corn fields. I've got two, two acre fields, one on the North, one on the South, and then about five acres of the, uh, of clover. Uh, it's burn strip around the CRP and then another piece that, uh, was not enrolled in CRP. And then, then the rest of it, I put into, into, uh, turnips and radishes every year. So, okay. Over 10%. So here it is early August. And, uh, I'm curious what your philosophy is on your trail cam picks and how you're running your trail cams at this point in the season. Oh, I bounce them around a lot. I, um, not just on my farm. I've got another, I've got a lease close to home. I've got, we've got that new lease down in Southern Iowa with Kalen. And then I've got a couple pieces up here that I just hunt by permission. So I've, I've got a dozen Reconyx cameras and I'm bouncing them around. I usually will put uh, some mineral out in certain areas. You got to be careful with that. But, uh, um, and then, you know, as the closer we get, I like to put the horizontal rub posts up when we get to that velvet shedding time and, and it's amazing the pictures you'll get on that water holes. I'll put some over those, but I, I'm constantly bouncing around trying to locate that deer. You know, small properties, um, we're literally looking for one opportunity a year. That's if I get one chance at a big mature buck each year, I'm happy. Well, now we've, with Dalton involved, now we're looking for two. Rick Malice coming this year, so now we're looking for three. So, bastards, yeah, uh, two and a half. For <laughs> it's just yeah. it's Rick. So, it's yeah, there you go. <laughs> but it, it, it gets tougher every year. And, and when I first bought this property, I, I was sure that within five years, okay, I'm going to have a booner running around out here, but 
you know, 80 acres, it just, it doesn't happen. And as, as of yet, we still have not had anything that would reach that point. Mm. And then it was five-year-olds. I'm only going to shoot five-year-olds. Well, there was a dry spell of two to three years where I didn't shoot a deer because that's, that's just, I'm holding out for five-year-old. Well, the last couple of years, I'm, you know, now it's more about anything over four that, that suits me then, uh, then I'm going to go ahead and pull the trigger on it. So especially with the, with Dalton and I both trying to get it done each year and, and then when Rick comes in, so. It's one of the areas where I think hunting is so counter cultural because we're always looking for a quick fix. Like we don't want a solution that's going to take multiple years to come to fruition. Like we want something we can throw down on the ground and have big bucks coming in in a few months. And uh, and and, and we, it's interesting to hear Dave, who is a whitetail veteran, talking about multi-year strategies here and the investment that goes into that. Dave, I want you to dive into that horizontal uh, post thing for us a little bit. G- give us more because I hadn't really heard much about this until just a few months ago. And um, I-, I find it really interesting because it, I mean, the guys that use them say that they're just magnets. So take us through like, are you, you're building something, you're putting something out. What, what exactly are you talking about here? Yeah. So Dalton and he kind of, he watches a couple, watches some other podcasts and whatnot and some what? uh, hunting public and, and that, you know, the hunt, and, and, and he kind of come up, he brought the idea to me and a good friend of mine was messing around with it. Uh, Dave Schlarman. And I Dave. just usually will go out and, and put a couple posts in the ground, just some uh, wood posts and, and then went and started cutting like a, a big white pine limb. And for whatever reason, that pine, white pine, is a sap in there. And then we'll put it in a strategic location. We'll just, and I just anchor it on each of these posts, or you can put it between a tree and a post or two trees. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for whatever reason, the deer, they, they like that. They'll, they'll lick it, they'll rub it. And mainly that October part, you know, early October is when you really get the pictures, but put a reconics camera on there and it's just, it's unbelievable the pictures you'll get. Would a cedar work just about as good as a pine? Just- Not as well. Huh. If you can go to an old windbreak on a farm somewhere where they'll allow you to cut a couple limbs off, you want something in that three to six inches uh, in diameter and just anchor it in there. However, I've seen guys that just wire them up. I usually lag them into these posts and, and you want to replace it every year because it needs to be fresh and that sap and real sticky sap. And they'll, it is crazy. They really work. In my mind, I'm thinking, do I have any white pine? Yeah. <laughs> I've got four of them in my yard. Ah, perfect. But, two for you, two for me. Yeah, right. <laughs> Honey, Matt and I are going to do some sawn in the backyard. <laughs> That's interesting. She won't flinch. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I we obviously use, you know, the tree koi kind of, you know, scenario a lot. Mm-hmm. And I know there's certain kind of trees that do better than others. And I don't know, you see, you know, a lot of people that'll have like, um, you know, um, a fence post that's, uh, you know, the deer have kind of just whittled away to yeah. nothing, but I, until recently, I just had not heard much about this horizontal, uh, theory. And it seems like the people use it, just love it. There's a guy that made a post in deer cast. It's been a couple of years now, but he put a trail cam up on a horizontal rub post and it was, I mean, it, you could tell it was worn down and he got incredible video of deer coming up and just going to town on it. So making me think I need to, uh, install a couple out of my hunting grounds. 
Yeah. You can try different types of pine, but it, I've, I've found that the white pine is, has worked the best. So, okay. You know, anyway, well, some more work to do. Uh, Dave, is there anything else you think uh, like a parting shot as far as what you've learned in terms of your prep over the years that you just can't get by without that you think people would be light years ahead if they only knew about? No, not, I, not that I can really think of it. You know, I've learned so much over the years with the whole video videoing thing, you know, I, it, it drives me to try to, to do more, to lay it down so I can tell that story. And I, I think I'm a much better deer hunter over the years, just for the fact that we're trying to, you know, we're trying to produce a show every year mm-hmm. and, uh, and it, it makes you go that extra step. So, so, so it's there and it's documented when the time comes for the show, but you know, I'm just that, just an average guy, just like you trying to get out and do the best you can and hope for that one opportunity every year. Yeah. That's what I always say. It's like you get one chance and it's amazing if something goes wrong, how crappy your season goes from there, you know, but if it goes right, all of a sudden, especially if you're hunting a couple of States or you got a couple of tags in your pocket, it's like, all right, now onto this thing or onto that thing, but boy, it goes wrong. And your season gets elongated your, your home life. Is, it gets dark. It gets dark <laughs> mentally. Yeah. Psychologically. It's just one chance, one opportunity. And there's more things that can go wrong that then need to go right. Yeah. And that's where the preparation comes into place. That's where shooting your bow every day comes into place or, you know, or making sure your gun sighted in and, you know, those mm-hmm. things that you just can't take for granted that, <laughs> Oh yeah, I haven't shot for a few days. I'm just going to go out there. And I mean, I, I don't know. I just feel like if the chance comes, yeah, first of all, you owe it to the animal to try to be the top of your game. But second mm-hmm. of all, it's like, you may not get another shot. So Better make this one count. Don't screw up. Yeah, I've screwed up plenty. <laughs> I've done that a few times myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've got our buddy Ben Schroyer that has uh, has got kind of a situation on his hands. So we're going to help him out with this week's question of the day. All right. The question of the day is probably brought to you by Nomad Outdoor, building the most innovative and authentic hunting apparel for your next expedition. Expedition. <laughs> <laughs> we've done this before. <laughs> Epidemic. (laughs) Hey guys, I have a question. Uh, I have a hunting property in central Indiana that has great potential for great bucks. It's private, but it feels like I'm hunting public because the landowner lets other people come on the property, even though I'm the only one allowed to hunt it. I'm afraid to invest money to improve the property. How can I manage this property in my favor? The farmer Harvest early, the property floods, people use ATVs constantly, people target practice with guns. <laughs> but fortunately for me, I found a 200-inch class buck found dead on this property, and I know the potential of what it could be. Please help. Thank you. That's an SOS. <laughs> That's, he's got a lot of things stacked up against him. My short description for... Ben's question was his hunting property is a pee pee soaked heck hole. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it's, it. <laughs> it's bad. 
I mean, he's got a lot of things. I mean, he painted it. You talked about dark. <laughs> he kept saying, and, and, and they train ninjas on the property. <laughs> I mean, not to laugh because it's, I mean, this poor guy, that sucks. You know, and it, when you got neighbors and stuff doing that or, you know, the trespassing or they're doing whatever they want to do. A deer do not like intrusion like that. And I'm shocked. I wonder how that 200 inch deer died. You well, know, <laughs> he said it as kind of a silver line, but in my mind, I was thinking, well, the deer's dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's his genetics are probably around, but I think gone. of like dad's had his place 17, 18 years. He's he, there was a, maybe a mid one nineties that was killed there like year or two before when it was in like North American whitetail before he bought it. Okay. And then I can't think of, one other deer, Mr. Christmas, uh, that, that, that went over 200. I mean, it doesn't, and this is a property that they're doing everything right, you know, and it's yeah. no intrusion. I mean, no just, break dancing just because it happened once doesn't mean it's going to happen again. I mean, that's, that's the tough part. I mean, Dave, what do you think about, you know, you, you got a smaller parcel, you, you, you got, like you said, one bad neighbor, three good neighbors. Like, how do you even approach something like this? Well, first, first thing that come to my mind would, you know, I don't know what kind of repertory he's got with the landowner, but the, what I would recommend doing, you know, approach him, tell him your concerns and offer compensation to the guy, you know, say, Hey, you know, I'm trying to do this. Is there a way I could compensate you, you know, lease wise, whatever. I mean, that's, that's the first thing I would do and say, Hey, I would be willing to give you, pay you this much or, you know, so much an acre to, to try to hold back on that intrusion because you're trying to make it a better property that immediately come to mind when I heard that story. Cause I don't, he's fighting a losing battle the way it is. Yeah. I mean, if people are, Target practicing that one. It was like, whoa, you know, it, it, just from a safety perspective, being in there and wanting to hunt, how do they know when he's in there? You, you know, I, I think about, I don't know uh, if that state, the purple paint law is, is I assume that's something. Double PL. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you go and, and, and paint, you know, every, what is it? 20 yards or 30 yards. I forget what the distance is. Inches, I think. And then you, you know, get post it, put the posted no hunting signs. I mean, if the land, owner allow you to do that kind of thing. But I mean, I would, those are some first steps I would take, but honestly, I'd also look to see where these ATVs are coming in. I mean, you know, it might be, it's, an, traps. it's an investment, but you might put up some fencing, you, you know, even a couple of strands, barbed wire. If the, if, cause he, does he own this or he leases this or he does? It, I, I forget it what he said. didn't sound like he leased it. It sounds like he just, that's where uh, he, he gets to hunt there. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some things that you could potentially do. I'd start with Dave's suggestion. And if, um, you know, like the American Hunting Lease Association, we had Sean on a few weeks back, they have an insurance that you can get, you know, for a couple hundred bucks, you get the insurance and you can put the landowner's name on it. So you're showing him that you're making an investment to make his property safe and protect him. I mean, there are certain things that I think maybe just getting in better with the landowner and, and, and kind of not bending his ear. You want to take the, a, a right approach. Cause who knows what he's told these other people, if he's allowing them to come in, yeah. you don't want to step on any toes, especially you found a hunting spot. That's great. And that's hard to do these days. So you don't want to burn a bridge certainly, but there may be some things that you can do to, year by year kind of start to diminish the amount of intrusion that's happening. I mean, intrusion is just, it, 
you're not going to be overly successful. It doesn't mean you can't be successful. I mean, gun seasons all across the country <laughs> prove every year that right, yeah. we can it be happens. successful. But, you know, to, to try to up your odds, I think you, you need to try to year by year slowly eliminate the best you can some of the intrusion that's just unwarranted. I mean, ATVs riding through the property, gun, you know, shooting on the property. Like, those are things that deer don't tolerate for the most part. Mm -hmm. I mean, can they get used to it? Yeah, I, I guess. But but if there's a property next door where they're not hosting those things, yeah. they're going to live <laughs> over there. They may also just be nocturnal on your property because mm -hmm. of those things. So yeah. there's certain, I mean, you just, I don't know, there's a lot of things stacked up against you, but that doesn't mean that you can't slowly and surely kind of make your way out of that hole that, that's been dug, you, you know, not even to your fault <laughs> metaphorical yeah yeah there may um, be other holes on that property some, some, some deadfall traps <laughs> yeah. and so that's that's what i would do i'd start with dave's approach and then i'd start seeing if the landowner allow you to kind of put you know the the purple paint up the no posted signs maybe a gate you mm -hmm. know we, we when i bought that river farm a couple of years ago it, it had no fence and no gate it flooded a lot so there was no real reason but i thought okay there's one real way into this property. There's, there's a lot of ways on a four wheeler you could have got in, but I said, there's one real way as far as a kind of a road an access mm -hmm. point. There's no gate. There was just like, you know, a, a one chain <laughs> like, Ooh, it's not stopping anybody. So we, the very first thing we did was we, you know, got a postal digger and we dug the holes and we put up a nice gate and it cost us, you know, a few hundred bucks, but that there is a deterrent in a lot of ways just right there yeah you know yeah, if it cuts down on 20 percent of the people that yeah. might come through that's still something so the, the other thing is there's that whole what is this the sunken investment uh myth that like you need to keep invest if you've invested in something to some degree you need to keep investing it because you're already in so deep it may be time just to cut bait and say I, i'm not gonna waste my time and efforts here and i'm gonna focus on finding a new piece of ground so that's another i would focus on finding a new piece first because it, it is tough i mean it, it, it's harder and harder to find a lease these days so i would certainly not cut ties until you had oh, yeah. something else mm -hmm. in place. Um, and, and you, you know, you run into that a lot too, where you got a piece, but maybe there's somebody else that can hunt it, or maybe there's something going, you know, you found people living on the one, the one piece yeah, the hobos. one time, you know, it's just like, sometimes you just put up a BS and, and much like Ben, you just got to, got to deal yeah. with it sometimes, but you went to the landowner, you told her what was happening. I mean, you also made them aware, yeah. you know, something they may not have known about. And you can get good uh, Intel, like MRI from hobos. <laughs> so the deer aren't moving near here. <laughs> right? It's weird. Every time we have our encampment and cook our beans, you don't see the bucks. Cows love us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. How about the wildlife word? How about it? Wildlife Word is brought to you by the American Hunting Lease Association, your hunting access resource. Okay, so questing is the term that describes this behavior. Questioning? Questing. Questioning. Questing. I think I can help the Heron. whole pan pan situation. <laughs> Stepbrothers reference. Yes. <laughs> so questing is a term that describes this behavior. Going over the widge on a hill. B, a tick waving its legs looking for a host. <laughs> C, when a deer's wound heals over. I'm sorry. C, when a deer's wound heals over. Or D, none of these. 
Dave, I know you probably listen to other people's podcasts, but this is a segment <laughs> where we let the guest go first. What do you think here in this riveting well, question of the day? Oh, I've never word. heard that word before, but uh, I guess I would say C. When a deer's wound heals over. Sure. I, uh, of all these, I enjoyed the visual of B the most, a tick waving its legs looking for a host, but I thought of it in a dirty way. <laughs> like, just, hey, <laughs> check this out. <laughs> Waiting for a cat call or something. <laughs> it's actually B. So, ah, so the, the, my gut instinct. the way that ticks typically uh, latch on to a host is they will go to the very tip, like the end of a blade of grass or something, and they will splay their arms out in front and they will wave them back and forth trying to let like, Hey, it must be the money. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they, the windows that, to the wall. <laughs> that's how they hitch a ride. That's the term is called questing. They're I'll on a quest damn. for a host. Hmm. Now you know, Dave. Interesting. <laughs> I'll pass like, that on to Dalton. Maybe he can figure that, try that out, maybe pick up a girlfriend somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't think a wave works if he's waving his legs. <laughs> <laughs> There's a young man on the side of the road just waving his legs. <laughs> What's that all about? Well, the young man is questing. That's what he's doing. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> this is why people tune in. Or tune out. Yeah, yeah. Based on some of those <laughs> the, the feedback show, in the, the, the comments. The show is unlistenable. <laughs> well, I like it. Yeah. I mean, we find it comical. It's a, it's a highlight in my week. I can't believe I got that right. <laughs> just go with it, man. Just just be it cool. That perverted sense, it kind of guided me into the it question always of the, steers of you the right, answer. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Well, it has done me well over the years <laughs> and done me not so well. <laughs> well a little from column A and B. All right. Well, Dave, thanks so much for hopping on. It's uh, it, it's great to kind of hear your behind the scenes how to, and obviously the philosophy. I just I, I think I think part of part of what, what we didn't talk a whole lot about was just the sheer work ethic that's involved and the willingness to do this do this pre work. I think if you're listening, you picked up on it. I mean, when you talk five thousand trees, I know that is a time. It's got to be a it's time not an job. <laughs> no, I can't imagine how long that took. And how are you planning? All right, before we leave, I got to ask: How are you planting five thousand trees? Are you literally on your hands and knees, like putting them? <laughs> like, well, this the first, is a winner right here. <laughs> the the first the first planning was done with a machine a tractor and a machine planning. And that was about 3,000. And the rest, I just use a spade or shovel, tree spade, shovel. And I just, every year I put more in the ground and then I'll tube them. Uh, the ones that I want, that I know I want to survive or for sure. So, yeah, I put about 1,500 of the tubes on as well. So. Jeez. I mean, that, that you talked about the cost of the fencing, your beans and corn, but I can't imagine the cost of 5,000 trees and oh, the tubes yeah. and the... Yeah. Yeah. That's an investment. I hope Dalton and your daughters appreciate that because that's an investment. I, I do too. I do too. <laughs> Are, is Dalton helping you? He better be helping. A little bit. A little bit. That's son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All, right. All right. Well, I appreciate you jumping on with us and we wish you guys the best of luck this fall. I know uh, Rick said that he drew the Iowa tag and Rick needs all the help he can get. So <laughs> help, help that poor guy out. We're looking forward to it. I, we always have a good time regardless. The guy, you know, he's a he's very professional at what he does on the camera side. So I've learned a lot from Rick, and we always have a great time when he's out here. So we're looking forward to it. Good deal. Cool. Good deal. All well, right. safe hunting this fall, and uh, look forward to seeing you on DeerCast here, man.
Thank you, sir. We, we should it, guys. say if anybody wants to follow uh, Dave on social media, what's your Instagram handle, Dave? It's Dave Kramer, Drew Outdoors. All right. Yeah, we'll link him up in the show notes. Uh, also, we should say that we, by the show, by the time this show publishes, we um, we will have drawn a person for the hunt uh, with Mark and Terry. Ah, so that's exciting. <clears throat> that is. I look forward to seeing who wins, man. There's a lot of entries, and but there's still pretty good odds in general. I mean, so hopefully we picked a great winner, and I'm sure we'll talk about it and maybe have him on uh, as a guest at some point in the future. Definitely. Anything else we need to talk about? Hey, man, cast wise, getting ready to you know, uh, you know, deer season's coming, obviously. So we got some a lot of back end stuff in DeerCast. So make sure you update your DeerCast app. You know, every couple of weeks, and a lot of people's phones auto update. So it, you know, we're constantly putting out new versions of DeerCast yeah. and some subtle changes and some big changes and uh, testing some pretty big stuff right now. Hopefully, uh, we're, we're not sure whether or not we're going to launch it yet uh, this fall or not, but we'll know a lot more here in the next couple weeks and some some really really cool features so that's all we can say it is if we said more we'd have to come to each of your houses and all five of you yeah all right until next time let's shut it down all right peace out everybody the results are in Deercast said it was supposed to be a great night. Well, here you go. Deercast said great. It doesn't exist anywhere else but in Deercast. Hunters love Deercast's exclusive deer movement forecast. Get ahead of your game with Deercast.